Welcome to Stand Up Comedy Sex Ed. It's where you can get questions answered like How long does it take the average man to orgasm? And How long does it take the average woman to orgasm? And also Why is it so hot in here? Audiences agree, it's brilliantly funny. Raylene makes sex ed fun. This show is entertaining, factual, and relatable. There's nothing worse than being halfway done with sex and feeling your vagina shut down on you. <laughs> You've got to see stand-up comedy sex ed. I am ready to go do that comedy show. <laughs> hey everybody, welcome to season two of the stand-up comedy sex ed podcast hosted by Raylene Taskowski and some other guest. And today's guest is Lindsay Walden, who is a licensed counselor and a certified sex therapist. So yes, we're going me. legit today. Welcome to the very, show. Very legit. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Glad to glad to be here. It was sort of a, a whirlwind of like, hey, you need to be on this podcast. Okay, let's do it. So exactly. really glad for the opportunity. Thank you. That's literally how I do pretty much everything. By the okay. seat of my pants. And I'm just every single week, I'm like, all right, universe, if you want this podcast, keep going. Send me somebody to talk to. There Thanks. you go. And there I and is, here I am. <laughs> and here you are. Um, I do want to start this podcast by saying that I did finally, uh, I didn't do a Patreon, but of course, you know, if you have a podcast, you got to have some income coming in somewhere so you can buy me a coffee. So the if you go to buymeacoffee.com slash Raylene, just I think that's buy, I think it's buymeacoffee.com slash Raylene. You can donate three, six, nine dollars, however much coffee you think that I could have. And uh, that'll be it. That's the start. That's the start of me saying, hey, this is fun. But you know, with this pandemic, I'm not making any money either. <laughs> hey, I, I love it. I think that's awesome. I hear, you know, on various platforms, people doing, you know, Patreons or, you know, having some sort of like paid group or course or something like that. The coffee right. thing seems pretty easy. So, hey, good on you. That's awesome. Yeah. And this one, you don't have to do a membership. That was my thing with Patreon mm -hmm. is everybody has to be a member and then it's monthly mm -hmm. and it's, you could just do one $3 donation and be done with it. And someday I go. will have my shirts available for sale because I do have a cool logo, but now let's talk about you. Yes, ma'am. Um, I did think of one question that I just want to start with. Okay. Um, why would someone see a sex therapist or when should they see a sex therapist? Absolutely. I think this is an awesome question because I think there are so many misconceptions about what I do, what sex therapy is, all of the things. So it's important to recognize that there are a lot of general therapists that do have sexual health knowledge. So it's not to say that you couldn't get some assistance from whoever you are seeing, but you would want to make sure that you're vetting them a bit to make sure that they do understand a full range of sexual concerns. So the best way to think about what I do is a sex therapist is that I work a ton on the relationship communication connection, but really from a specific sexual perspective, we look at all elements of the sexual response cycle, be it from a desire problem, an arousal problem, an orgasm problem, a pain disorder. Maybe there is some sort of, you know, just desire discrepancy within the relationship where one person is wanting more 
of sexual activity than the other. I would say that's probably the number one reason that people reach out to me. I checked my email before we started this today. And I think I had three emails from people asking specifically about desire discrepancy problems. So it's really just a specialized form of cognitive behavioral therapy with some client center focused approach. Um, when it comes right down to it, though, the primary role of my job is to help people learn how to have healthy communication about what they're wanting and expecting and enjoying and all of those things from a sexual perspective. And it's really about having a non-judgmental safe place to discuss things of a sexual nature without worrying that there's going to be backlash or me thinking somebody is weird or crazy. There's a huge part of my uh, practice that also focuses on more alternative sexual relationships, be it from a polyamory perspective, be it from a BDSM perspective, sometimes just having people that say, maybe I don't fit the quote societal norm, but that doesn't mean there's anything wrong or psychological pro psychologically problematic about who I am. Is it okay to talk through these things? And so it really does cover a wide range of issues. In addition to that, I have a huge portion of my practice where I work with LGBT concerns and people that are just struggling to sort of understand who they are as a person. Maybe the reason that they're coming to see me has nothing to do with their orientation, but again, they want it to be a safe place where they know they can talk about whatever's on their mind. And then, of course, there's a big umbrella that focuses on sexual trauma and abuse and how to either overcome those things, heal from those things, reclaim a sex life that maybe feels like it's been stolen or taken from you. So there's really a lot of elements that this one heading sort of touches on. Those are the ones I primarily focus on. There might be other sex therapists that do a few other things, but that's a good overview. That's a good overview. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I have so many, like, I feel like if I would sit down with a sex therapist, I would just be like, okay, so what about this? Like, okay. Well, you so can do that if you want. This is sort of that, you know, I think a lot of people feel that way. I joke that I'm going to write a book. Uh, you're a sex therapist. Let me ask you a question because that's usually what happens in party situations. They're like, oh, uh -huh. wait, you do that? Let me ask you something, you know? Oh, I get that too. And I'm like, I'm not a sex therapist. I'm right. just a sex toy lady. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. And, and I do, I back that up a lot. Like, listen, I've talked, you know, um, I've talked to over 10,000 women about sex. I have a show about sex. I have a podcast about sex. I have a talk called Let's Talk About Sex. Right. I'm not a sex therapist. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I still have, you know, some insights. I probably have, well, we definitely have more insights than the average person because I've just simply mm -hmm. spoken to more people. Yes, absolutely. And I think maybe that's part of also what I do as like the motivational speaker media side of me is that I want people to feel empowered that they probably know more than they give themselves credit for. I think it's important to know when you don't know something. Like even in my own experience, if there's something that I run across and maybe I don't have the answer for, I will be referring that person to someone else, or I will at least be going to find that answer rather than just saying what I think it is. Because there are some things that sometimes are a bit counterintuitive in treating sexual concerns and issues. So I think as long as you're operating within the zone of what you do know, and that you have some evidence to kind of back up what you're saying, I think that's really important. Because really, Anybody could go online and say, oh, I'm a sex therapist. But if you don't know what you're doing, right. you, could, you could harm some people, even without meaning to, like the best of intentions and all, you know? Right. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard people give some really bad sex advice, and I'm just yes. like, what? Oh, what? Stop I know. That. I'll get those people sometimes, and they're like, oh, you know, this this person that you know they they've gone to a sex therapist, and they told me what their sex therapist said, and I'm like, oh wow, that is like the telephone game. There's no telling if what they're <laughs> interpreting is actually what the therapist said. And a lot of times the the advice or suggestions are very specifically tailored to the individual relationship. So to somehow then say, oh, this is going to now apply to someone else is kind of a slippery, dangerous slope. That, uh, oh, Jesus, that reminds me of a joke where um, the, yeah, now I'm going to mess this all up, but it's something like two people went to the sex therapist and the advice was, you know, uh, donuts and cherries, put a donut on his penis, put a cherry, you know, inside her and get down with it. And so then the sex, wow. somebody else went to the same sex therapist and we're like, we want the same kind of advice. And he says, it's not going to work. She says, why not? He goes, cause you need Cheerios and apples. <laughs> you know, that's really interesting. I'm not sure if I get on board with the putting cherries inside things, but <laughs> it's all good. I can go with that joke. And that's really sad. And it's actually like a size thing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's pretty accurate. It's pretty accurate. I think, you know, there are a lot of people that are surprised when they find out that actually the treatment process is usually, I say, on average, three to six sessions. Now, the way we divide those sessions up sometimes looks different from couple to couple. I definitely have some people that maybe right at first we meet on a weekly basis. And then I have others that maybe we meet, you know, every other week for 30 minutes. It really depends kind of on how much crisis and how severe the situation seems to be and like how much specific like interaction they need with me to kind of get things straightened out. What's also interesting is that my work as a sex therapist and as a relationship therapist over the pandemic time has really led me to get those courses up and going. And I was actually able to add in one called Let's Talk About Sex. It's funny that you say that because I would have people that would go, well, we went through your course, but you like left out the sex stuff. And it took me a little bit to figure out exactly how to package it in a way that was general enough for pretty much anybody to go through and get something out of knowing that they have the option to then maybe work with me one-on-one as like a relationship coach which is a little bit higher level form of maybe not the traditional in-depth therapy, but it's still a way to get some one-on-one help. And it also allowed me to reach people that may maybe aren't geographically near me because there were some restrictions with that from the therapy world. And then the pandemic really shifted how I think we look at, you know, seeking services and who we right. seek services from and how we go about consuming that information. So is the homework usually sex? Cause that's a class I could get behind. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I mean, yes, to, we'll, we'll say with an asterisk next to that, like, yes, but kind of no. Sometimes the, it starts off with let's figure out, you know, what is the communication like and how, how gummed up does the communication feel? Are we really struggling to communicate like what our needs are, how we feel has resentment taken over? Are there a lot of hurt feelings? Sometimes we have to unravel that whole bag of stuff. Um, And then the actual process of sort of figuring out, I call it hitting a sexual reset button. That's really what working with me is like. You hit this kind of, you know, the easy button from Staples. I won't say it's an easy button, but it is a reset button. And in that (laughs) moment, we start rebuilding. You know, we figure out what's the foundation that's already there. Do we need to do any foundation repair? And then we sort of rebuild the sexual experience of the couple based on that strong foundation. And so that's the reason that 
Me personally, I don't know how to do sex therapy without couples therapy, and I don't know how to do couples therapy without sex therapy. There right. are some therapists out there that do not agree with me, and that's fine. I'm not asking. It's, again, like different approaches, right? But personally, I don't know how to do any form of therapy without having some portion of it focused on the sexual experience of the person because it's one of like major issues that we deal with as individuals. Even if we aren't currently having sex, it's still something that might have an impact on how we feel, what we think, how we act, how we behave, Mm -hmm. all of those things. It's just very, I think, important to have a a cohesive view of the person or the couple. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. So you alluded to the fact that you are sometimes interviewed in media. And so Mm -hmm. I'm curious, what kinds of questions or issues are you talking about when you are on TV. Man, it it really runs the spectrum. I, you know, depending on who is interviewing me really depends on where the, uh, the conversation goes. I did have a stint on um, a local morning show here in St. Louis for a little over four years. And we talked about everything from just the importance of sex and relationships, how to incorporate, you know, sexting and texting, what to do if, you know, one party like that desire discrepancy wants it more than the other. We talked about general communication concerns and tried to keep it, I'll say as high level as we could, because it was a morning show that came on at, you know, the 10 o'clock hour in St. Louis. And so we There are children home watching TV with your parents. (laughs) Right. We couldn't get like super, super deep into like the specifics. Um, But then when I do radio, a lot of times I'm on talk radio stations and there's one in particular that I was on for about a year and a half. And I was like, it was an after hour show. So it wasn't on until like 10 p.m. to midnight. Mm -hmm. So we could get a little bit more like, you know, into the weeds, so to speak. Now, we still had to be careful because there's like what you can and can't say. But man, we would have questions about fetish behavior. We would have questions about, you know, people in the sex work industry. We would have questions about, you know, if, if it's okay to watch porn. I mean, we would really dig into more of the specifics of things that might show up, you know, in an actual conversation, you know, in my office. When I had my own radio show, I'll tell you a funny story. I had my own for about a year on, it was sort of called this extreme talk radio, but keep in mind, my show was nine to 11 AM. So again, it's still like during those hours where you got to be careful. And I did not at that point, this is going back a while. I did not realize that there were, you know, specific rules around what you could and couldn't talk about in terms of like describing processes. So one of the elements that we'll talk about if someone is struggling with premature ejaculation is sort of a start-stop method of learning how to control that response. So I'm in the process of explaining it, and apparently you can't explain, or at least then, you couldn't explain the process of masturbation, even if you were doing it from a medical perspective. So like literally my producer and my co-host and the manager of the station were like hitting that button that like dumps it, you know, so that it doesn't Uh. make it air and they're like okay let's go to break and they're like okay you can't you can't say that <laughs> so i learned pretty quick yeah. that God you know, forbid we talk about sex or i know i know it's just it's kind of funny so yeah so it definitely runs the spectrum of things and then sometimes i do media where all we talk about is mindset stuff and you know what it's like like i did a, I, I recorded a show last week and we talked about the concept of happiness and whether it's a destination that we're going to reach one day 
or if it's the process of the journey along the way that we really have to focus on. So I, I think the fact that I have that general therapy background allows me to focus on a lot of different issues. But what I do find is that usually the conversation somehow makes its way to the sexual relational stuff. So I just go with it. Right. Have you seen um, Married at First Sight? Hmm. Mm. Is that that reality show where they like they get married and, at first yes. sight? <laughs> I have not had a chance to watch much of it yet, but I've definitely had a few people ask me, like, you need to watch this. I want your opinion. So I've, Sometimes those shows are hard for me because from a therapy perspective, I'm over here going, no, that's horrible. Don't do it that way. Like I'm like freaking out. But well, I, they I have was... certified sex therapists on there. That's that's part of the panel. Oh, they have cool. a sex therapist. Okay. They have a, 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 a reverend and then they have a um, sociologist. So okay. it's it, yeah. Well, so they're covering that. Thank you for that. The whole reason that I started watching it in the beginning is because um, one of the trainers who used to work for the company that I work for, she used to come and train was Dr. Logan Levkoff, who you've yes. probably heard of. She was on the first two or three seasons of that show. Oh, that's and awesome. that's how I'd heard about it. Mm-hmm. And then she left and then they had a different one. And now they've got a third one. And so, because the, they talk about a lot to do about sex. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. I think what I might have been thinking about was the 90 day fiance. That might have been oh. the one I'm thinking when you said the, the you know, meet it, married yeah. at first sight. Um, but yeah, Logan, actually, she did some trainings that I have attended at when I was going through my certification program. And it's, it's such a small world, this sex therapy world, because there's a number of us throughout the country that have the various certifications. And even if we don't always know each other, we like know of each other. It's kind of cool. It's kind of a, yeah. like a big, small world you know I use one of the things that she talked about um in one of our trainings uh, I think I talk about it in our my very first podcast on this this show was how to talk to your kids about sex mm-hmm. and I've uh, and I also in my let's talk about sex talk mm-hmm. I pretty much straight up just take the words that she said because it makes so much sense about talking to your kids about sex mm-hmm. and um And it's basically, you know, when you're talking to teenagers about sex or kids who are, you know, to the point where they might be getting ready to think about sex. And I had this conversation with my daughter in eighth grade because I didn't think she was ready to have sex, but I knew that some of her friends were getting close. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, she said, you know, when, um, when you are safe, when you are protected, when you're doing it because it's something you want to do and not because you're being pressured to do you know, uh, it, it will be, it will be, it will feel good. And I talk about that in one of my talks because a lot of young women are getting into college and they're just, they're having sex just to get rid of the social concept of virginity Yeah, and they're not enjoying sex. And then of course, now they're not stimulated to want to have more sex because that was awful. Right. But, But then that wasn't what it was supposed to be. (laughs) Right. I I think, you know, I I often say that we live in a hypersexualized society that's terrified to talk about sex from a healthy perspective. It's a very interesting kind of dichotomy between these existences because we've got, you know, sex sells, sex is everywhere. You know, it's like you can't you can't turn your head without seeing something sexy and salacious. But then at the same time, 
I feel like there is a huge portion that is missing on the importance of connection, the importance of uh, communication, the importance of pleasure. And, you know, it, it is at first when I was beginning to see clients, I remember being kind of surprised at the number of people that weren't having pleasurable interactions from a sexual perspective. And then with a little bit of digging, we would start to talk about, you know, okay, so what were you taught about sex? What what messages were you sent? Did you just get like the, you know, the social education from peers and television and Hollywood? Or did you actually get like comprehensive sex education either from school or from even sometimes the church? Churches have gotten better about incorporating at least some comprehensive education into it, where you just taught, don't do it, it's bad. Because there's a lot of messages that we absorb before we even really have the cognitive ability to sort out what we're learning. We're right. just sort of spiraling with the info. And I think that that is a, a big player in this whole thing. And then when we look at things like the, if we're talking about heterosexual relationships where the male sexual response cycle is very linear, it sort of starts mm -hmm. and then it kind of leads to this like end point, whereas the female sexual response cycle is very circular and it doesn't always have a beginning and a middle point, oh, excuse me, a beginning and an ending point. There's a lot of middle ground in there that we don't always line up very well. It's like, you know, what takes the average man somewhere between three to five minutes to sort of achieve the, the same process for a woman is somewhere between 18 and 22 minutes on average. So we have a big differential, especially with even just the way that we experience pleasure. So, you know, you ask, is my homework about sex? And sometimes those are the types of things that we look at. Like we might start by saying, okay, so what is the average length of time that it takes each person to achieve pleasure? Can we kind of reverse engineer the process and maybe start with some other activities so that both people are achieving that point of enjoyment at the same time versus one person's good and the other one's like, well, I'm not, I'm not done yet. Like, right. Let's keep going. And, you know, which then sets up a certain amount of feeling, you know, uncared for, untended to, just, you know, frustrated. And then that's where resentment builds. I've got to tell women, you got to find out your partner's love language and get you an acts of service. Because if you have an acts of service, you will orgasm every time. You know, I, I like that. It's interesting. I um, I do a lot of work with the, the, the love languages. I also kind of put in there elements of the anger languages and the apology languages, because I think it's important to know how we give and receive love. And I also recommend if you are someone that has never taken the love languages quiz, or maybe you've taken it, but you've taken it from the perspective of how you receive best, I would encourage you to take it from the perspective of how do you best give, because not everyone gives and receives in the same way. So if right. you want to about it like this. The love languages is how we give and receive. The anger languages is what happens when our love languages aren't being met for some reason. The core needs of who we are are being, you know, sort of not tended to. And then the apology languages is a way to bring it full circle so that you're able to then sort of heal the relationship wounds that might have developed because the love languages weren't being met, which led to anger, which now has to reset itself. Yep. I think the greatest thing that I ever did for our marriage was read the five love languages. A friend of mine gave it to me because she said it had helped hers and we were having some struggles and it was right around between the years of, of five and seven. And yeah. it, it was such a huge eye opener because mm -hmm. it was like, if I had, if I had sat down and thought about it, I could have seen it on my own, but I didn't realize it was even a thing. 
mm-hmm. and I'm words of affirmation and my husband's is acts of service. Okay. And we do not speak each other's languages, right? Not at all. Mm-hmm. And until like I, we've been married 25 years, I don't think he's ever said that I'm pretty once. Or that I look good or, you know, your ass looks good in those jeans or, you know, at one point, one of the, one of the biggest arguments we had was I had lost a bunch of weight and I looked amazing. Right. I was, you know, like 130. So like almost a hundred pounds less than I am Mm -hmm. right now. Right. And I was working out all the time, like lifting Mm -hmm. weights and everything. And he would just get jealous. And I, you know, he would get mad at me when I would go to the grocery store. Cause the, the grocery guy was flirting with me and I just mm-hmm. couldn't make, and, and I love that because I'm words of affirmation. Right. Right. You just want to feel it. Right. right. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I had no, you know, it's like, and, and I had to, I finally, I just sat down with him one day and I was like, look, dude, if you can't believe that I just love you for you, mm-hmm. please believe I would not leave you for a guy who works at the grocery store. Right. That's a really good point. Absolutely. I think it's one of those things, though, that that goes to that something at the core of him wasn't feeling quite right Right. about it. But yet, if the communication is broken down somehow, then there's a struggle. And I often remind people that the struggle is part of the story because it does allow you to develop deeper levels of understanding. But sometimes that messy middle part between where we are and where we want to be is kind of icky, you know, and I think a lot of times that that's where I do meet people is that they're they're at a point of saying we're not where we want to be we don't know if getting there is even a possibility what the heck do we do are there even things that can be done and I'm kind of a believer that you know I I worked with a couple not that long ago that reached out and said you know we've not been married that long we don't want there to be problems so we'd like to just have a session or two to be able to make sure that we're we're not missing something because we want to make sure we have that good foundation. And I, I kind of joked with them and I'm like, could I just like borrow your, your yeah. example? Because I think more people need to see it as a resource to help almost preventatively than right. to only go to a therapist or a coach or whatever it is that you're seeking when things are so bad that you don't even know if you want to stay in it anymore. Right. I, I am very proud of the fact that in my, I guess, almost 15 years or so of working in this mental health field, I can count on two hands the number of people that have ever said, okay, I think we're just going to go our separate ways. And what's really cool about that is that if they follow what I have suggested, they are then able to split without feeling like angry and just vicious with one another. And and that's kind of rewarding also, because it is possible to be able to say, you know, look, I love you. I may not be in love with you the way that I need to be, or maybe I just need to go in a different direction, but I don't have to want horrible things to happen to you. I don't have to be your enemy. (laughs) But a lot of times, because there's, there's not healthy communication along the way, resentment takes over, it just blows up into some explosive situation. And then people walk away with such hurt feelings and and just such exposed emotional rawness that they aren't really able to, you know, get past it. And and I I feel like, you know, I'm trying to do what I can to educate and reset about those as well. Yeah, I'm telling you, I I recommend that book to everybody. And Mm -hmm. I also, um, whenever I see a newly married couple, especially if we're, you know, down in the Caribbean having cocktails and they're on their honeymoon. And a lot of times they'll, they'll say, you know, you know, and Mike and I are on our, 
almost 25th anniversary and they're mm-hmm. like do you have any advice or I'll say can I give you some advice yeah 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 and and and, uh, and and they'll be like yeah and I'm like it's a roller coaster so get in sit down keep your hands feet and penises inside the cart put on your seatbelt and hold on I like it yeah. because you don't get to the good parts if you don't go through the scary parts and the hard parts and you're not allowed to jump out in the middle yeah and so if I look at you know like year five or year seven when things were rough and year 12 things were rough and you know now it's just a matter of you know prevent at this point I can't imagine us going through anything worse than you know than the stuff that we went through that we would logically do I mean yeah you know I could there I talk about that movie Hope Floats where Sandra Bullock's on the stage and gets gobsmacked Mm-hmm. If anything was to happen to us, it would be a gobsmacked because I, yeah. I would just not expect it. But yeah, no, I hear you. I think I think there's also, you know, a, a year ago before the world kind of shut down, at least here in the States, I think there were some expectations that as the stay at home orders started getting, you know, put out there that, oh, we're going to have a baby boom out of this whole thing. And what's really interesting, people that are in my line of work are noticing more of a, a separation slash divorce boom, which I think is because all of a sudden everything slowed down. Yeah. <laughs> everything slowed down and whatever issues were sort of being pushed to the back burner. Now all of a sudden became very, very, very close to the front of the mind. It was really hard to ignore them or be busy to keep from dealing with them. And I think it really was eye opening. Now, I never want someone to stay in a relationship that is not serving them, that doesn't feel like it's, you know, meeting their needs. I I definitely am not an advocate of that. But I also think that sometimes we aren't doing enough to cultivate those healthy connections so that when things are really much a struggle and there's just a lot of issue to have to deal with, not saying that we could have foreseen what 2020 was going to look like, but recognizing that it brought a lot of, you know, the cracks that were there really became apparent. And I think that's also what we're seeing a bit of a fallout from now is just this regulation of, okay, so what does our relationship look like now? Am I, am I sick of this person? Have I seen that maybe I can really go through a bunch of stuff with them and come out the other side stronger for it? So it's definitely been an interesting, you know, year or so. And I I think we're going to continue to see, the effects of what that looks like on relationships and even things just the way that we, you know, plan out things, be it vacations or date nights or, you know, the the way that we regard one another. Because when we see people kind of go through rough patches, when we see people at their worst, sometimes it does bring some things to the surface that maybe we weren't aware of or we just didn't realize was as intense as it is. I have figured out, matter of fact, I think it just I think I just figured out while I was talking to you that I think my husband likes me needy. Oh, interesting. Like when I'm when I'm out and I'm doing the shows and I'm out doing comedy and I'm out and I'm, you know, healthy and losing weight and confident, he pulls he pulls on me. He he's mm-hmm. like tries to hold on to me in a way that's uncomfortable. But then like mm-hmm. right now when I'm not making a lot of money and I'm struggling and I'm gaining weight and I'm a little bit depressed, you know, he's like, let me feed you. Let me give you cookies. Oh, Do you want to go to the bookstore? No, I don't want to go to the bookstore. I have 900 books I haven't read yet. You know, I'm going to go in and buy seven more. Right, right. It is. Stop giving me cookies. I'm diabetic for fuck's sake. Back off. <laughs> you are loving yeah. me to death. <laughs> I totally get that. You know, uh, my, my, my now 
spouse, which we got married in the pandemic, which is also a funny experience in and of itself is very protective and doesn't want me to, you know, inadvertently get exposed to things. And so has like taken it on as like, you know, we used to love to grocery shop together. That was just a fun thing for us. We haven't done that in like a year. And, you know, the other day she came home from the grocery store and I'm like, you know what? I'm over it. I'm just going, I will wear three masks. I don't know what to tell you, but I can't do this. Like, this is driving me crazy, you know? And I think it is those things of like, you know, her wanting to be very protective and just make sure that she keeps me safe. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah, but in the process, I might be a crazy person. Like I, I work home hundred percent of the time. Now I do not see people like I have to, and I'm an extroverted person. Like I need to see people or I'm going to lose my mind. And, And you know, it's not doing it for me. Zoom is not. See, I will say, though, I do actually like the Zoom thing. I feel like it's allowed me to connect with people that I ordinarily wouldn't have been able to. Like here you and I are talking. We are not in the same place. But yet I feel like we're having a great conversation. I'm not saying it's a substitute for the real thing. I wish I could like give you a big hug and be like, oh, hey, what's going on? (laughs) You know, whatever. But uh, but I do. I I feel like that has been a good bridge for me. But I know it doesn't work for everybody. And it's not a substitute for the real thing. I do get that. Right. Well, and for me, you know, if I'm not out doing comedy shows and I'm not out doing the parties, how I make money and I'm not doing, Mm -hmm. you know, the stuff, that's all the stuff that I do to make money. And so I've gotten to the point that, and and in my, I have another talk called zooming through 2020, which I'm actually doing tomorrow. Um, And I, and I mentioned, you know, like my goal for 2020 was to not have my party plan business be my main income by the end of the year. Mm. And ta-da, it wasn't. Unemployment was. So I really need Mm. to work on on how I uh, manifest because I fucked that one up. (laughs) And it's really interesting. No, I totally get that. It's sort of, you know, um, maybe that, maybe that says more about your manifestation abilities than you realize. As I said, I'm going to have to be more specific in the years coming, you know, like when I manifest. (laughs) <laughs> I want, I want to get paid to work universe, please let, right. me, let me work. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's nice to have a safety net, but I also think that, you know, more and more I am hearing from people that are like, okay, I really want to, you know, figure out what my, what my working life is going to be like. Cause I think for a lot of us, the way that we work, especially those of us that have any entrepreneurial ventures that like allow us to kind of make our own schedule and do our own thing. Right. It's freedom. But if we're not working, it feels very constricting, you know, or if if we don't have a a path to pivot, sometimes it, it takes a little bit. And you know, it's interesting. It's like my, my work with relationships, my work with individuals, I do a small amount of, you know, business consulting kind of, I say on the side, all of my jobs are on the side, I think, but you know, I, I do a small amount of that. And we talk about that, you know, this, like the, the freedom that comes from making your own decisions and being your own boss is also sometimes the thing that is very stressful and a little frustrating because it doesn't always work the way we want it to. I was just on a, another podcast called Successful-ish. And uh, she asked me two questions. She goes, what do you, how do you define success? Mm-hmm. And what makes you successful-ish? And I said, I define success by being able to go on vacation whenever you want without asking anyone's permission. Mm-hmm. And I'm successful-ish because I can, but eh, sometimes I can't afford to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I get yeah, that. So. I like that. That's a good answer. I do. I think that, you know, we also tend to 
as the people that are in it, we tend to sometimes discount our own awesomeness more so than other people will. And so I think that concept of just resetting and being like, yeah, what, what is your success? Can you see it? I remember early on in my career as a therapist, before I started doing any media stuff, this was just strictly me having a, you know, therapy office and seeing clients. I had a a psychiatrist that I would refer clients to, and we would sometimes meet and chat about our shared clients to make sure we were on the right track. And one day I just, I was like lamenting my frustrations and he was like, "Uh, you have a successful practice. And I just kind of argued with him and he was like, okay, first of all, what? And I'm like, well, I don't have this and I don't have that. And I'm not, you know, like, I don't have a waiting list. And I, you know, I was going through all of the things I didn't have. And he was like, it's really interesting because I wonder how would other people define your success? Because there's no part of my brain that would have thought any less than, yes, she is successful. She sends me clients all the time. So clearly she's seeing people, you know, and, and it's just an interesting sort of concept of like, how do we, how do we see ourselves as successes? And what does that mean if our level of best is different from day to day? I've been doing a series on my own podcast about the four agreements and this idea from Don Miguel Ruiz that like, we, we don't always have the same level of best from day to day and sometimes from moment to moment and learning how to have compassion and understanding and giving ourselves some grace in that way is not always easy to do. In fact, it, it, it's very difficult for a lot of people, but the more that we allow ourselves to tap into that and not only give ourselves that benefit of the doubt, but also give other people that same, hey, they're doing their best today. It starts to make life just a little bit less frustrating because we're not holding ourselves to that, you know, ambiguous standard of perfection all the time. That's amazing. Cause that's, um, I've said, if I ever got a tattoo, which I probably never will, well, actually, if I get a tattoo, it's going to be eyeliner because for fuck's sake, I can't even see my eyes without eyeliner on. But <laughs> um, it, it would be the word grace. And it's be, it's for that exact reason. Um, mm-hmm. I have a couple of friends who are always saying to me, why are you so hard on yourself? Yep. Mm-hmm. And so I need to learn to give not and I say this all the time. I need to give myself grace and I need to give other people grace because I'm also hard on other people. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm hard on other people because I'm unhappy with myself. Could be. And I Mm -hmm. see people doing shit and I'm like, you know, Mm -hmm. when when are you going to stop doing that shit? Like Mm -hmm. I had to, you know, whatever. But that's literally grace is the word that comes up for me Mm -hmm. more than almost any other word over the last couple of years. It just keeps popping up. I totally get that. And, you know, I feel like this is just a great example of like, you know, yes, our reason for starting this conversation today was about the sex therapy and what I do as a sex therapist. Right. But as we start to talk and as we get through the process, it always comes back to us as people and how we show Mm -hmm. up. And, you know, what are the things that we all struggle with this very common experience of being human. And the reason that theoretical approaches from a therapy perspective or a coaching perspective or just books that are written from the self-help perspective work for a wide range of people is that we all have a lot of things more in common than we realize. We spend so much time wanting to be, you know, right. And we're polarized from people that don't agree with us. Or, you know, it's like, it's my way or the highway. When at the end of the day, the things that make us more similar as humans far outweigh the things that make us different. And I think part of where True. some of the discord comes from is that we we aren't focusing on those same things. We're focusing on the things that make us different. And 
I get it. We all have a certain perspective and opinion and idea, and we're not always going to agree on everything with everyone. But if we all agreed on everything all the time, I'm also not sure that that would be better. Like I, in some ways, I feel like that would be, you know, part of the human experience is being able to, you know, talk debate. to other people. Yeah. Have their perspective. I love debate. <laughs> yes. To have their perspective, you know, my, my thing for the last year has been we have to have more empathy. We have to be able to take our own feelings and go, okay, I don't have to agree with you to want to hear from you, to want to know how you feel, to want to right. experience life through your eyes, right? But I have to be able to sort of couch my own judgment so that I can sit with your experience. I don't have to adopt your experience as my own, but I also don't have to, you know, wish horrible things to happen to you just because I may not agree, you know, right. or disagree or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, there's a, there's a lot of that. Cause there's a lot of people on my Facebook. First, I've got a lot of people on my Facebook that I like that I've known for a number of years and they will post things and I'll be like, oh, for fuck's sake. And then there's some people on my Facebook and they'll post shit. I'm like, I don't even know you. And then I'm just like, pink, unfollow. Yeah. I don't need you in my life. That unfollow button is sometimes important, especially on social media, because we we miss some of the, you know, interpersonal dynamics of what makes communication healthy. We're missing, you know, facial expressions. We're missing inflection. We're missing, you know, just like the, the demeanor of someone as they're speaking. We put a lot of our own tone into what we're reading. And a lot of times, too, there's less of a interest in trying to hear someone's perspective and more of an interest in trying to tell everyone else why they're wrong and you're right or vice versa yeah, and so I think that. you know there's, there's definitely the the tool of social media that can be used in a really healthy great way that's how you and I got connected so I think there's definitely ways to use it in the positive but I do think it's been a bit corrupted and I think we're trying to find our regulation point and we have not found it yet no we definitely haven't Okay, so these are the nosy questions that I ask everyone that comes on the podcast. You can feel free not to answer if you don't want to. Oh, no worries. Okay. These are the nosy ones. Okay. How old were you when you lost your virginity? Uh, It's an interesting kind of layered question. The easy answer is I was um, 18. Oh, there we go. I think you (laughs) might be the oldest person so far. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, I um, and and even that I don't know if I fully count because it was not really it was I, I talk a lot about this in my own media. Well, you could do girl, guy or just girl, however you go, because I've had oh, people. No, no. Get it, was, it, it was it was uh, it was not it was it was against my will. So it's hard for me oh. to that as the, I mean, it's right, that doesn't count. Yeah. So if that doesn't count, then I would have been 19. Wow. It was mm-hmm. funny because because the last last week someone uh, said twelve and I asked her if it was consensual mm-hmm. because it seemed like that's you know felt the yeah it's it's also approximately the same age that I did but I was yeah I was still curious so mm-hmm. anyway I'm Absolutely. sorry for that experience no I appreciate um, it. I've used it as a way I, I joined the Me Too movement publicly and I've taken part in a few documentaries talking about it and have extensively written about my story but I realized we didn't talk about that at all in your podcast so I was kind of like right. okay, I'm about to dump this on her but she asked yeah. here we go so now I feel like I have to have you back again um okay. do, do you have any funny sex stories Plenty of them. Yes, absolutely. Um, I think for me, I, um, I always tend to get a butt cramp in like one of my butt cheeks, regardless of what I'm doing. And that's always a fun experience. Like, okay, wait a minute. Ow, butt cramp, butt cramp, butt cramp. Yeah, that happens. Charlie for me. <laughs> Char- yes, that's fun. Um, yep. 
this is going to, I actually started asking all these questions a little bit, not in my very beginning. So I okay. had um, the last, anyway, so what's your favorite position? Now I've gotten that you uh, have a female partner. So your mm -hmm. answer is likely going to be different than the last few answers. Yeah. I don't know if I have a favorite. Um, Hmm. I'll have to get back to you on that. You said you'll have me back. I'll have to think about that. Cause I, I, <laughs> I like, I like elements of it that just involve like the closeness aspect. So I would say if I can feel them against me in a very, um, almost like a full body hug, I'm good with it. Nice. All right. And do you have a favorite toy, favorite sex toy? Um, actually, yeah, I have a couple. I recommend sex toys to people all the time. Um, there are quite a few that I say every person should have. I think everyone should have a bullet vibrator and I think everyone should have an egg vibrator of some kind because they're very uh, multi-purpose and easy to, you know, function. I do also recommend either a toy that has a rechargeable battery versus like batteries you have to put in. My favorite of all time is going to have to be the Hitachi Magic wand because it is so versatile and it is really the one that if someone is struggling to orgasm or to reach kind of like pleasure of any kind it is usually I've only had it not work with one person let me be clear I don't use these toys on people I recommend them <laughs> right. and they go purchase them um I will say though if you are someone that is in, that has never used the Hitachi <laughs> magic wand or maybe you have I have a trick for you if you get a dimmer switch that you would actually plug a lamp into, you will be then given the ability to have a full range of high and low speeds so that you're not stuck with either high or low. And the dimmer switch thing is actually a really good element to add to the Hitachi. The reason I also pick it as my favorite is that it plugs into the wall so it has more power than others that are battery powered. Whether it's rechargeable or not, it still has more power. Right. Did you happen to notice my uh, stand-up comedy sex ed logo? No, I didn't. Is it the is it the magic wand? <laughs> Hold on. Let's see if I can find something with the logo on it right here. You'll, uh, well, anyway, look at you have it. Just send look, it to me. Okay, send it to look me. Look at look at the microphone when you see it. Okay, I will. Okay, I Hold will. Hold on. I've got it right here. Oh, that's right. I keep forgetting I have wireless wireless headsets now. Here's here's my logo on my T-shirt. <gasps> there it is. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Awesome. Yep. There you go. So that would be my, yeah, that would be my favorite, you know? Um, yeah. I, uh, my co-host on my podcast and radio show, I brought it in to demo once and he decided it was his favorite neck massager. And I'm like, yeah. okay, give me back the sex toy. Stop using it the wrong way. <laughs> yep. I think he used to sell them at Brookstone. Like mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. now it's funny because you said, um, one thing everybody should have is a bullet. And I absolutely hate bullets. Hate, hate, okay. hate. I've always hated them. They make okay. me numb immediately. So it's the same thing with the Hitachi. No, those things, they just immediately just okay. turn my clitoris right enough, off. Though. Like I say everyone, maybe I should counter that and say most everyone, because I think yeah. there are definitely exceptions to my rules. And I try to be yeah. really inclusive with my language, but I appreciate that feedback. It's one of those things where you know, any sort of, but now I am... Sassy. Now, if you ask me what every person should have, I say a glass toy. Oh, interesting. Okay. See, and I'm not a huge fan of the glass toys. I don't know. That's just not my, my favorite, but again, it, again, that, that's the reason I, a long time ago, I used to think, why are there so many sex toys? This seems bizarre to me. Just have one that vibrates. We're all different. 
Exactly. And the more I got into this field, the more I'm like, because we're all different. And, you know, that that's been an interesting kind of eye opening experience over the last, you know, decade and a half or so of learning that, you know, there really are that like different strokes for different folks kind of idea, you know. I have um, ADHD and Mm -hmm. extreme skin sensitivity. Like I don't like anything Mm -hmm. to touch me. And so um, I'm very you know, tactile. So anything that vibrates, I, yeah. it's, it's distracting anything that lights up. I get it. Any, any kind of noise, forget about it. And so you have to do a part two, because there I have a whole series on how to talk about ADHD and sex, because there's a whole bunch that goes into that. So girl, we can get there. All right. We're, you're coming back on. All right. So how, how can people find you? Absolutely. I am. I'm actually pretty easily findable. If you go to my website, lindsaywalden.com, and that's L-I-N-D-S-A-Y-W-A-L-D-E-N.com. There's really all of the info there that you would need. There is a place there for you to download my free relationship communication guide. There are links to my blog and past podcast episodes. You can subscribe to my podcast, Therapy Thoughts with Lindsay on iTunes. That comes out Thursdays at 2 p.m. every week. The blog is published 4 p.m. Mondays. If you would rather connect with me on social media platforms, on Facebook, I am Lindsay Walden Consulting. That's my page over there. On Instagram and on TikTok, it's at this is Lindsay Walden. On Pinterest, I'm either Lindsay Walden or Therapy Thoughts. And most recently have joined Clubhouse and I am Lindsay.Walden. That's all, all I do. I just added you on Instagram. So uh, awesome. Thank you so much for letting me come on and chat with you. This has been amazing. I'm very grateful and really would love to come back. I will have you back. Um, You can find me on Instagram at standupcomedysexed, standupcomedysexed.com, and raylenetaskoski.com is my speaker website. And I've set up a Facebook group just for this podcast so you can participate in polls, ask questions, and politely share an alternate point of view. And generally let us know what you think of this episode. So search, search, search. Search for Stand Up Comedy Sex Ed podcast on Facebook. Please subscribe to the podcast. Share with your friends. Leave me a comment. And now you can give me a cup of co- What is it? Give me a coffee. Well, I'm so bad at this. I I literally just it's signed up for all these. It'll be fine. Yeah. It'll be fine. What is it? It's called think- uh, buymeacoffee.com slash Raylene if you want to. <laughs> Chuck me a, you know, chuck me a $3 for all the work that I'm doing here. Um, thank you so much, Lindsay. I'm definitely going to have you on again. This was a blast. I hope everybody learned something and I know you need to rush off and do your day. So absolutely, I'll message you and we'll come up with another time to talk. Sounds fabulous. Thank you so much. Thanks, Lindsay. Bye-bye. Bye.